Hello, welcome to Space Flicks, another episode of, of the podcast where we review a movie, uh, talk about whether it was good or not, and ultimately decide whether it is worth beaming out into space for a lonely astronaut Yeah, who can only watch a few movies a year. He has very, very few entertainments at very his poor, disposal. Very poor internet. He's got the majesty of space, <laughs> right? 90% of their time is, the, is enjoying the majesty of space. The infinite universe that surrounds him and envelops him in a cold darkness. Mm-hmm. And he's also got... And he's got a little TV screen. These curated movies that we, that we beam to him in space. So, yeah, today we're going to be talking about Alfonso Cuaron's Roma. Roma. Uh, a Netflix film. Mm-hmm. Um, this actually marks the first streaming film that we have reviewed oh that sounds right that's almost certainly i don't true. think we've i don't think although we will review another yes tb <laughs> to be named later yeah but i know teaser there for yeah. you uh yeah that's definitely true um and this is kind of the you know we're in the beginning of potentially a new era where streaming services such as Netflix and Amazon, they're making films and trying to start, you know, they're trying to make prestige films and get... They're trying to build up libraries of yeah, yeah. sort of must-see content. Mm-hmm. Right? And they're attracting clearly, you know, A-list, uh, A-list Hollywood talent yep. from directors and actors and writers, yeah. etc. Uh, so Quaron, you know, obviously one of the top names. He won... What did he win for Gravity? Best director. Best director. Okay. Yep. So he's an Oscar-winning director. Yep. Um. And uh. And yeah. And Roma is uh, his latest film released on Netflix. It's uh. It's well. Let's say what what can we say about our expectations leading into the movie? Well, I mean, th- I think <clears throat> it's important to call out that Netflix has been hungry for. Uh, awards. Mm-hmm. Um, I think somewhere in the algorithm, Netflix's algorithm, it's like, hmm, Oscar-winning movies get eyeballs, right? <laughs> and so, like, what if we made the Oscar-winning movies, right? Yeah, I sort of think of it almost like Amazon, how uh, the the store, I mean, yeah. where it almost feels sometimes like Amazon is like, hmm, what don't we sell yet? Mm-hmm. We should start selling that, you right. know? It's kind of like, how do we become the thing that sells everything so nobody bothers ever going anywhere else right. but here? And it's it's it <clears throat> definitely feels to me like Netflix is trying to do that with content. When yeah. you look at just the the sheer breadth of titles that they're putting out. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge number, but it's also like, you know, Lots of children's programming right. and lots of kind of uh, TV sitcom esque shows, shows and queer documentaries, eye, yeah. children's shows, Roma, yep. action thrillers, TV shows, movies. It's just like, what do you want? Everything. Netflix Everything. has yeah. it. Yeah, and I think you're right that they're they're hungry for an Oscar, but I think not specifically for an Oscar, but like for everything. They want everything of which yes. Oscar winning films is, is a, part. a thing. Yeah, yep. yeah, it's a significant part of what people want from their <clears throat> content. 
And so when you call out, like, what do you expect going to this movie? It's like, well, I expect that Netflix is going to give me everything it's got. It's going to, like, wind mm. up and, like, really go for it, right? Now, I don't know what that meant specifically, yeah. but I knew that they were, like, they're going to back up the truck. They're going to get A-list talent. They're going to try to they're going to try to win best picture. Yeah, and I guess I assume also that this is going to be a real I assumed for all those reasons that this would be a really pure artistic expression because um they don't have to sell tickets. Yeah, it's not like it's not like a studio that yeah, they want to get an Oscar but also they need to, you know, put butts in seats and right um and you know pay off the movie's budget and stuff this feels this feels very strategic like the whole point is to get an oscar and to get a movie that's acknowledged as a great movie yep and so there would have it wouldn't really even make sense for them to do your typical like studio interference where they sort of force the filmmaker to you know uh bend in certain ways to you know satisfy different demographics and stuff like right it it fe- it felt to me and i sort of assumed the way it was was like they were like we want alfonso Cuaron or we want you know this kind of like art artist mm-hmm. you know um and we just want to give them as much money as they ask for and then we just want them to make whatever movie they want to make right you know uh, the requirement being make us a movie that's probably going to win an Oscar. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. If it was some sort of extremely ri- like taboo subject matter or something that's really difficult to watch. Right. No, I but like I mean, they- when, you know, if he pitched it and was like, I want to make this deeply personal film about a, uh, <laughs> about a, what are you laughing Well, I'm just about? imagining like him saying like, I want to make an autobiographical, deeply personal film about like, you know, the struggle of sort of the unseen in, uh-huh. you know, 1970s Mexico. I'm imagining like the Netflix executive like nodding at him yeah, with that, an enthusiastic face and just like writing a check with his other hand, <laughs> yeah. right? Just He's like, like, yeah, that sounds really right, Oscar worthy. Right, <laughs> because if I'm Netflix, right, I don't know. It would be better if I won the Oscar for Best mm-hmm. Picture every year, right? But... I know that that's not going to happen, right? Only one team wins the NBA championship every year. Only one film wins the Oscar, right? Mm -hmm. But like eight films get nominated for the best picture going Mm -hmm. forward. And if I'm Netflix, I'm like, I need a nominee in there every year. Yeah. Right? Like, because what do people do with Oscar nominated films? They're like, well, I got to see all of them. Mm -hmm. Right? And what what do they have to do then? Like, you're like, well, I guess I got to subscribe to Netflix because they literally have a Best Picture nominee every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And it's like, you will end up paying for a year of Netflix to see one, like, worst case scenario, to see one movie. Well, I, that doesn't seem very realistic, but that's a part of a larger sort of set of preferences. Right, but it's like, there'll be a, mind. but that's like one yeah. sort of argument that they're mm-hmm. going to like, it's another log on the fire. Yeah, right? yeah. And it's a big one. Yeah, little bit by little bit. And I think in addition to all that, uh, because it is still early stages for streaming services, there's still a lot of filmmakers that would probably not consider, you know, streaming. doing a movie with Netflix. Yeah. And so they kind of, in in the the early adopters that they can get on board, they have to treat really, really well yeah. to kind of 
build a reputation like Quaron needs to talk publicly about what a great experience he had working with Netflix. Right. And then maybe the next filmmaker that they pursue is going to be like, well, they, it's Quaron said they yeah. were great. You I mean, know? the fact that they got Quaron, the Cohen brothers, <clears throat> and Steven Soderbergh in like the same year. Well, they did spend what, $8 billion? On I'm just content. saying it's like they. They are demonstrating. They're they're putting they're quite literally their the money where checks. their mouth is, yeah. right? Yeah. And also, like, if you accept the premise that streaming is sort of the future of how people are going to be consuming content, like people mm-hmm. will still go to the movies, but streaming will now be like a bigger and bigger share of their movie going experience, mm-hmm. right? They won the space race, right? Not Amazon, not Hulu, not YouTube. Not Apple. Netflix won the space race and got nominated for Best Picture first, right? And so it's like now if I'm but who's gonna win it first? If I'm you know like and next year they got a Scorsese movie coming out, mm-hmm. right? It's like if I'm a serious director who wants to make serious movies that have serious consideration for Best Picture, it's like Netflix has proven that they can do that. Right? Until Spielberg shuts them down. Until Spielberg shuts them down, which I actually don't think is going to happen. No, I don't think he's got. I think that I think the Academy would be shooting itself in the foot. I think he's got a ton of clout, but not enough to do that. I, I think this is one of those things where he's like going to realize it's like punching the ocean. Right? Yeah, there's too much. There's too much momentum behind it. But anyway, we are not even talking about Roma right now. We are though. Roma. <laughs> Roma. Uh, in sort of okay. With that as the backdrop. Uh, it's a rich backdrop. I I saw the trailer for Roma. I assume you saw the trailer before seeing the movie. Yeah, the Pink Floyd trailer. The uh-huh. great the great gig in the sky. So from what you saw, including seeing the trailer and maybe hearing whatever chatter you heard, what were your expectations going in? Um I wanted I was sort of expecting um a portrait of a family. Mm-hmm. Right. That's really what it felt like it was at the end of the day. And there were some really magnificent shots in the trailer, uh, crowd shots, uh, some pretty uh, dynamic shots of like a, a human cannonball. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that sort of punctuating what is otherwise what otherwise looked like a family drama. Yep. Um and that's that's sort of I expected mostly a quiet movie, you know, um, of people in rooms talking and having feelings, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so that's that's sort of the gig. Were you excited for that? Um, that's not like put it this way. Uh, you, you know me, like the movies that when I the trailers that I've seen over the past couple of years, I was like, that's gonna be the greatest movie ever Baby made. Baby Driver, Baby Driver, and Bad, Bad Times at the El Royale. <laughs> Right? Yep. Neither of those movies were my favorites. Atomic or, Blonde. Or even close to my favorites. Atomic Blonde. Did I have a reaction like that to Atomic Blonde? I don't remember. Uh, I thought that after Baby Driver, you were like, Atomic Blonde is like the Is one my I'm, new is, thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that sounds like me. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then after Atomic Blonde, it was Bad Times. Yeah. And, I and mean, now sh- it's maybe John Wick 3? Ooh, what? Yeah, I don't know. What's the... What's the next thing that you're like, this is going to be the best thing ever? Nothing comes to mind off, for me, the, it's John Wick 3. off the top of my head. John Wick 3 looks... I, I, I'm totally excited for John Wick 3, but it's not like... Because it's a 3, 
Mm-hmm. Right. Most of the movies are I'm like, oh my gosh. Generally speaking, like the recipe for this is like a ri- sort of like not a franchise, right? Mm-hmm. Like the first or potentially right. the an only original thing, an yeah. original thing uh, that is like where the camera moves and it's zippy and snappy and a little bit dangerous, but also a little bit fun. Mm-hmm. That's like what I want out of. That's what I. That's what I. That's want, what you want, yeah, right? In life, uh huh. Yeah. So Roma clearly was not going to be. That. Roma's not in the category of things that I'm like. Yeah, I'm psyched for this, right? But you, uh, I'm guessing. Did you expect it was going to be good? Uh, yes, I've liked every Quaron movie I've seen, um, quite a bit. Like Children of Men is, you know, peerless. That's your favorite one. I think his. so. Gravity is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm forgetting an obvious recent one. From him, can you think? Name? I don't remember it. Children of Men and Gravity are the main two that come to mind for me. I know he's done more. He's, he's Itu Mama Tambien, like, right? Quaron. Oh, is he? I get him confused with Inuritu. Yeah, he's Itu Mama Tambien. Um, so that's also you know. Uh, Inuritu did like twenty-one grams. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um. I didn't see a lot of his early work, but just those few movies, right, are great movies and all, I think, give enough of an indication to people who have seen them. It's like, you should just follow this guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. You should just see the next thing he does. Well, he's, I mean, he's at that level now where anytime he makes a movie, it's going to be the new movie from Quaron. Like, right. Like, he and... <clears throat> well, and kind of in your E2. Well, I think Quaron's a bigger name at this point. Um, yeah. Or like uh, or like Guillermo del Toro. Those three guys, like Mexico. I guess I'm just naming Mexican I mean, but, like, but, but they're all close friends, and they have won three of the past four Best Director Oscars. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. They're, I mean, I've, I just feel like, uh, I think specifically Quaron. four of the Quaron past five. And, Coron and um, and Del Toro, they're both just, they definitely are, I feel like kind of, maybe not currently, but kind of on a trajectory to be like similar to like Scorsese or mm-hmm. Spielberg yep. in the future where you'll just look back and be like, for a period of time, every movie those guys made right. was just a thing, you know, yeah. a moment in cinema. Basically. The hit rate with these guys, it would like, and I'm, it feels, <clears throat> I recognize that it's sort of like a little bit distasteful to just be lumping all the Mexican directors together like they so, are. So racist. A monolith. But, um, but I agree. I think there is something about this trio of directors that we're going to look back on and fee- it's going to feel a little bit like the way we talk about the 70s film directors that were all friends with each other in LA around yeah, that time. I mean, I, mean right? I think there's a, there is something to be said for these groups of friends, not just in film, but in various fields of art, uh, where like there's something magical that happens with a group of people. Yeah. I don't know if it's, there's like a chicken or egg question of like, do they make each other great? Or it's like, did greatness attract greatness, you know, yeah. or I don't know what it was. But yeah, like uh, Scorsese and Spielberg and Lucas and De Palma and yep. and uh, Coppola, Coppola, right? They were all friends. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like there's probably something like that going on with these folks yeah. as well. And I didn't even really like 
the shape of water. <laughs> right. But yeah, it's like, I, but I recognize that like, there's so much talent in this group. Right. Right. Um, no, no, not just anybody could make that movie. Right. You know? Right. Um, or even think of that. Movie, <laughs> to be honest. Right. What um, if the fish had a dick? Right. Yeah. So man, we keep, we keep diverging quite a lot from Roma. Um, so you were expecting an intimate, uh, portrait of a family. You were expecting it to be good. You weren't expecting it to be as good as Baby Driver, or as Mod- good as modern what you masterpiece Baby, Baby, Baby Driver. Driver. Would be. Um, so, I it's interesting. I mean, that makes total sense that that was your expectation, and I feel a little silly that I thought something different. But I think from the trailer, I think the trailer was cut together so like kinetically, mm-hmm. kind of that I was expecting something a little more epic and yeah like uh like heightened reality um Mm -hmm. i thought the movie was gonna go places that it didn't really go like like put it this way the trailer has like like you said a guy being shot out of a cannon like massive crowds fire i thought there was gonna be a fantasy element to the movie oh okay um like Pan's Labyrinthy? No, not Pan's Labyrinthy, but I, I, I guess, I guess more like, uh, did you see Dancer in the Dark? Yes. I guess I was expecting maybe something like that, like there would be oh. sequences that took place Daydream, more in her mind or yeah. something. Uh, again, just because I think of the way they put the trailer together, I was expecting something. I, I can't really describe exactly what I was anticipating, right? But it made it look like there would be stuff like that. And having seen the movie, I'm like. I'm like, oh, it's not really what I was expecting. But yeah. anyway, I think what you were expecting is a lot closer to what the movie was. Yeah. <clears throat> I think I think um, the trailer ends with a shot of wet socks drying. Mm-hmm. And to me, I was like, it's going to be a lot of this, isn't it? <laughs> that was sort of like... That was sort of my suspicion. I've seen wet socks. I was like, I was like, you put all the most exciting stuff in this trailer, but it's mostly going to be wet socks drying, isn't it? (laughs) Right. Um, Which don't get me wrong, I liked the scene of wet socks drying, but it just sort of like, but that was that was the thing that tipped me off. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So that was my expectation walking in. All right. So that was your expectation walking in. We should say um, a little bit, you know, now that we're whatever like 20 minutes in what is the movie about it is it is about uh a it's mostly well it is about a family but it centers on their housekeeper yep uh what is her name cleo cleo yeah um who and and as adam mentioned earlier uh it is semi-autobiographical is my understanding uh in that the child one of the boys in the family mm-hmm. is basically Quaron. Yes. Um, so it's about the family that he was a part of as a child growing up and the housekeepers they had and just the life they had and, and the things that happened, the dynamics in that family. Yeah. And I think the, the major sort of like motivating event is that the father leaves. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's basically what happens to an upper middle upper class family in Mexico City in the 1970s mm-hmm. when their sort of academic father bails 
mm-hmm. and what happens to this family, and it's all through the eyes of the housekeeper, right? Right. And it feels a little bit, so I know it's autobiographical. It also feels to me, um, I'm curious if it felt this way to you, like a bit of a, I mean, I don't know how else to put it other than like a love letter to to his housekeepers. That's interesting that that's your point of view on that. Yeah. I feel, put it this way, like I don't disagree, uh, but I do feel like there's a lot of chatter around this movie uh, in that, he the argument being he thinks it's mm-hmm. a love letter, mm-hmm. but he's not giving the necessary voice or the necessary depth to this yeah. character yeah. in order to really demonstrate his you know affection or deep understanding of her point of of her person. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I suspect I won't have much of of substance to say on that. I I think that. Uh, it's hard. I think there's a like in our in our woke culture, it's sort of like it's hard to really detach your perspective or really see someone else's perspective um as much as you try. I yeah. think uh I feel like there's a lot of people who who will criticize I'm not even speaking specifically about this movie right right now but will criticize a movie for like not giving due respect to a culture or to mm-hmm. uh, a character's point of view or something but then if you ask someone from that culture they will say they think it did a good job but yeah. like a western person will say like no but could have it, done a it better can't job. have done a good job because but you know from your western perspective you can't really detach your value system yeah and what you think is is elevating versus denigrating a culture right you know um what am i th- there's an example there's an example you know one example that comes to mind and i can't remember who i heard talking about this movie but you remember the movie Logan Lucky yes uh I was talking to someone or I might, I don't think I was talking to someone. I think I, I was listening to a podcast or something where somebody was basically complaining about how much the movie was making fun of Southern culture. Yeah. And, and my thought was like, huh, I actually thought the movie was pretty, was treating like Southern culture pretty warmly with like a lot of affection. Yeah. But, but the thing is that this person's perspective was like this person inherently had a low opinion of Southern culture. Right. So they thought that the movies just just showing trail of Southern culture was mocking. Right. And it's like, it's not mocking. That's how that's, you know, and, and, you know, I could, I could be what this might be my, you know, my perspective is backwards on this, but my thought, my response to that was, I think the movie was just showing you like s- Southern people. Right. And you have a problem with Southern people. Right. As a, you know, not Southerner. So you think the movie was mocking them. Yeah. Um, and uh, but like the heroes of the movie are Southerners. Yeah. Right. And we're supposed to like them. So I guess what I'm getting at is like, I think there's a potential flaw in the view that like this movie's not respectful of this character. Right. Because maybe it is. Yeah. And you are, as the person with that perspective, you are not respecting a person like this. Yeah. You know? 
I gener- but it's so I don't know. You know, it's so I, complicated to really think through all of the your own biases and other people's biases. And I'm pretty. Uh, I I think it's a losing game to always be uh, sort of on the uh, on the cusp of outrage about some injustice that's been perpetrated by the film you've just seen. Right. Yeah. I just feel like even a film that I think is probably gotten a lot of flack for this, like Green Book, mm-hmm. right? Um, I just feel like it's a losing game to get that up in arms well, about it. Yeah, I think so. If you if you if we make this a little bit simpler and go back to what I said about this being a love letter, yeah, I'm pretty confident that that is at least his intention. Yeah, I think and that's I believe right. he has very loving feelings yes. for his for these women in his life. Yes, and so. Like, I believe that those are genuine feelings. If if you think he didn't do a good job or he didn't respect them mm-hmm. or... The way that you... or uh, Yeah, or he didn't love them correctly. Right. You know, you're entitled to that opinion, but it doesn't mean that he didn't love them. Right. And it didn't... And it doesn't mean that he wasn't trying to honor them. Right. So, you know, I guess to me, it's very simple. Like, I do think he was trying to honor them and he mm-hmm. was trying to be loving in doing so. And, you know, maybe he did kind of miss the mark uh, and maybe he failed to see things from their perspective or, you know, et cetera. Right. But I but I don't think there's any question. And I feel safe in saying this because I've like listened to interviews with him where he expressly said that this was his intention. Yeah, so there's yeah. no there's no really disputing that that's what he was trying to do. Yes. And, and that's how it felt to me. Yes. And I would and I will say just personally, like this isn't me sort of parroting a different like sort of like, oh, there's an interesting like (laughs) counter argument in the critical community. Right. Mm -hmm. It's more like when I watched this movie, the feeling that I had was of um, a real need to understand, not even understand, to explore um the inner life of Cleo and the inner life of, of the mother character, mm-hmm. right? Those were sort of like the two people who really stood out to me as being like important inner lives that need to be unpacked and unwound mm-hmm. a bit. Um, the, and so like, I think if you just go by the emotional sort of like impression that the movie leaves on me, it's like, uh, if later Quaron says to an interviewer, like, yes, I was trying to explore the lives of these two women. I'm like mission accomplished. Cause that's mm-hmm. how I felt. Right? right. Like, yeah. Um, and so I think in that regard, it's not that we might try to overcomplicate the identity politics of, you know, this man trying to present the viewpoints of these women. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, but didn't he do it? Like, didn't he do as good a job as he could do? Right. Yeah, I think, well, I guess the other thing I would say about that is even though the movie is largely from her perspective, uh, you know, optically, yeah, I don't, it doesn't feel to me like it was necessarily trying to get inside her mind. No. I feel like the movie's very observational. It was watching her. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I don't know, I don't know exactly how to justify that, but um well she very rarely as a character 
voices her inner thoughts right on things right and so and in some ways i feel like the movie knowing this about this character right it's like she's never going to come out and tell you her deepest darkest feelings right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, in, in fact one of the most pivotal parts of the movie is the one time she does do that right the one time she reveals something that's actually very surprising yes um about how she feels yes it's a very, uh, yeah, that's a very emotionally complicated moment in the movie. Yeah. Because I think it's, I think it's very, well, kind of shocking. Yes. But also very touching. Yes. Because of the way she's making herself vulnerable to someone that's important to her mm-hmm. in that moment. So, yeah. So, yeah, I think... I think that's maybe another reason why, like, I don't the the objection of it not representing her or not sort of shedding enough light on the inner complexity of this character, or in a way maybe disrespecting, you know, because it sort of oversimplifies or something like that. Right. The, I think part of why that doesn't resonate for me is that I don't feel like the movie's trying to, like I said, get into her mind yeah. or show you her her perspective so much as. Um, show you her life right centered really closely on her yep um which there's just a subtle difference between those things yeah but i feel like in and the argument i would make is like if he had changed if he had written the script in such a way that cleo like had somebody that she secretly told everything that she was thinking and feeling to and we got to watch those conversations if i were him from coron's point of view i would be like well she didn't do that or wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. That's just not who she is. Yeah. And so the only way we have in is to observe, yeah. right? We're not going to make up. She's not going to talk to a doll or a best friend or a beach ball, right? She's just going to live and mm-hmm. we get to understand her by the way that she lives. Yeah. And I think, I think that realistically, especially when it comes to, historical, you know, pieces or anything that's portraying a character who's in a in a situation or in a society where they don't have much power and they are kind of more or less subject to the rules of a system that's totally out of their control. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of tempting and easy as a modern viewer to be frustrated that's like, this character is not complex enough or this Mm -hmm. character doesn't seem to, uh, you know, have agency or be, you know, or have hopes and dreams or this or that. And it's like, but maybe a person in that situation, those things, we don't really appreciate how much those things are actually luxuries. Right. Right. Like having hopes and dreams or, 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 or even having, uh, let's say like, critical thinking when it comes to some of the societal structures you're subject to yep. like take for example i'm about to speak about something i know almost nothing about but take for example north korea do you right. really expect like my understanding what i've heard of yeah. north of what it's like to be in north korea from the you know very few people who've gotten out right is that basically the majority of the population is completely brainwashed yeah into thinking that kim jong un is like a god and that they have no option other than to do exactly what, you know, 
what they've been assigned to do. Yep. And that if they disobey the government in any way that like he will know and he will have them executed. Yep. So like a person in a situation, I mean, that's extreme. <laughs> Obviously that's not the world that Roma is. Right. But it's an extreme example of where you, it's not really realistic to expect a person to have all of the inner, you know, uh, inner dialogue going on, inner monologue rather. Right. That like a, a member of, or at of least a first world country, you know, with with all of you know the all of the conveniences of modern life mm-hmm. has because we just we don't have any of those sort of you know first level Maslow's hierarchy of needs type of concerns. Yes, we're not hungry, we're not in danger, we're not you know we're not shivering out in the cold. So we're just like. I wonder what my hopes and dreams are. Or like, right. I wonder what my real potential as a human is, right. you know? And it's like when you're in a much more, much less privileged situation, yeah. that person doesn't have those kinds of thoughts. So I think it's easy as a modern viewer to to be like, this character's not complex enough. But right. it's like, you wouldn't be that quote unquote complex if you had sort of lower level needs right. you were trying to address. Yeah, if I, if you think about something like um, just survival as like a genre of film, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, part of what makes that type of film so fascinating is that those characters often don't have any sort of internal life that they're struggling through in the moment. No they're philosophical to, right, quandaries. They're, trying, they're figuring out how to open a coconut, yeah. right? They're figuring out how to start a fire. The more right? the more we the more we're in danger or hungry or in dire need of something like that, the more yeah. we're just like animals. Like um for example, like there's a sequence in No Country for Old Men, right? Where he had where uh, Anton Chigurh has been shot, right? Uh and there is like a five minute sequence of him just treating the wound. Mm. Right. Um, and in the, in that sequence, we're not really thinking about like, what makes him tick? What are his hopes and dreams? Right. Well, he's he's addressing like, a wound. he's like, I have a physical problem I need to solve and we're going to watch and we're just going to watch him do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's interesting. Right. Um, Cause we're going to learn about his sort of efficiency and his, way of problem solving by virtue of the way he solves a physical problem. And it doesn't feel like it's oversimplifying him. No, it's just in that moment. And so it's like, it's a very revealing thing about the critic for them to say, they don't have a, they're not complex enough. It's like, well, you're judging somebody for not thinking about life the way that you think about Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause in some ways, like it might in fact be preferable to have a very simple, like, set of thoughts going through your head. Not that you are simple, but that you are, you're sort of like, I'm going to think simply about mm-hmm. my life. Right. Where it's like, what am I going to eat? Mm-hmm. Right. What am I going to wear? Right. So what do I, what do I need to do today? <clears throat> I feel like we're, it seems like you're, you're with me then we're, yeah. we're coming out pretty hard against these. <laughs> yeah. Whoever these critics are, who are, who yeah. are, no, I think they're protesting the movie's portrayal of these characters. Yeah, and I, and I don't think that this is a straw man. I feel like I've heard this from real people enough times to feel like. I mean, I believe you. I think it, these days there's going to be. It's just I don't know. Every every almost any movie is going to have a 
especially movies that get a lot of attention, right? Yeah. Movies that are considered good. There's always going to be counter arguments to be made. And, um, uh, and I don't necessarily, you know, I don't necessarily think that there's no grounds for taking issue with this movie. I just, I guess, I guess uh, my focus here is why all of this, uh, doesn't bother me uh-huh. and why yeah. I feel like the movie did a good job at what it was doing. Yep. Uh, okay. So themes, themes. <laughs> um, I don't know if, I don't know if themes is really, it's not really that kind of movie. I mean, I, well, maybe it is and I missed it. Right. Uh, to me, it's very personal and very intimate. Like we talked about, and yeah. it's like about this woman. It's not about, this woman as a symbol of this uh, bigger you right. know, universal message about human existence. It's, I feel like it's just about this woman. Yeah. I feel like it's about maybe about love, you know, but that's about sure. as generic as you can get. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's just any story. <laughs> right. I mean, um, it's, I guess, you know, at the risk of sounding kind of cliched, it, it feels like an exploration of that, dynamic that most you know very few movies have shown um the the idea of she's an employee of this family mm-hmm. but they also love her but is also a member of the family yeah right yeah. that is a weird thing that if you know for example in our family growing up right we didn't have hired help right we didn't have a nanny we didn't have housekeepers right Closest we had was a guy who mowed our lawn. <laughs> right. But like he was in no way no. part of the family, right? <laughs> Barely um, knew him. And so it's like that dynamic of uh she lives with them mm-hmm. and uh and loves them. Takes care of the children. Right. But is also like on the payroll. Yep. Brings them, you know, brings people food and tea and things like that. Right. I thought, uh, just to kind of dive into one of the scenes real quick, I really liked, there's a scene that's just about, I think it's just to capture one of the kind of day-to-day things that this family mm-hmm. does together where they're watching TV yeah. and she's sitting there watching with them yeah. for a little bit. And then it's like, oh, can you go get, you know. Go, get get, a, go make get me a, a tea. Go get him some soup or yeah, some yeah. tea or something. And she's like, okay, you know, and she goes and does it, but it, it's it that right there yep. is a is a is kind of like exploring that boundary, right? Yeah, uh, she's kind of she is part of the family. She's sitting with them, and they're just watching TV together. But also, as when soon someone as has somebody a request, something, you know, yeah. her sort of responsibilities kick in, and yep. she has to go fulfill the requests. Yep. But then presumably she'll bring the tea, and then she'll can watch TV with them again. Yeah. I think so there is something about this is maybe the most the blurriest line between like employer and employee Mm -hmm. right I think other movies talk about the dynamic between an employer and their employee but they're far far on the other end of the spectrum right like um, office space right is Uh a movie about employers and employees to a degree Mm -hmm. right but it's about like what if there's literally no bond or any sort of emotional connection between the employer and the employee. What if there's like strong upward antipathy, mm-hmm. right? 
like what is what happens to that relationship or that di- or with that dynamic in place right mm-hmm. and this movie is sort of like the exact opposite of that which is like what if you work one works for the other but there's so much affection and kindness sort of layered into that relationship that you almost can't see the difference like it's yeah. a really blurry line to understand where does my employee relationship end and my familial relationship begin. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think that's, yeah, for sure. One of the major themes, like, but sort of to also support your earlier point, like, I think it's about a family. I don't think it's about capital F family. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like this family is very specific. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, uh, you know, back to your expectations of the movie is, uh, and we've talked about this before, it's just not the kind of movie that I get super excited about. Yeah. Like, oh, it's going to be about, yeah. it's going to be a character-driven right. <laughs> uh, exploration of the relationship between these characters. I'm like, all right, you know, yeah. normally that's how I am. But sort of similar to when we talked about I don't even remember if we recorded an episode about this. I don't think we did, but we talked about Lady Bird yeah. um, as a movie where I sort of said a similar thing of uh, that kind of movie's really not my jam, right? but the movie's so good yeah. that I still liked it. And, and that's kind of how I feel about this movie too. Like this category of movie is just so not my jam. Right. But this want this inst you know i can still appreciate a good instance when sure. it's done really well and i feel like this one is done super well yeah um you know to the point where by the end of the movie i did care quite a lot for this character and these families yep. uh, or these characters all of them in the family uh you know not the dad of course he's a dirtbag right but um ma- i mean mainly the mother and the housekeeper cleo um, but also, you know, even like the children a little bit and the grandmother, who's an, who's another character. <clears throat> yes. 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 The grandmother. Took me a minute to like remember the grandmother. <laughs> okay. Um, the men in this movie are not good. <laughs> no, there are no, there are no particularly likable men with maybe the exception of the driver. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, um, but I think that that's, I don't think that's by accident. You know what I mean? Like, that I don't the think the men aren't good. Yeah. I don't think this movie's like, Oh, like, I don't think Quaron looked back later. and was like, Oh, it turns out like all the men are kind of bad guys. Right. Like it's like, yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are bad. These, the, like these women have to like make a life and like yeah. raise a household in spite of mm-hmm. that sort of toxic presence of like, various men in their lives right which is a like it makes me feel sort of apologetic as a gender to Mm. to women right i'm like yeah you guys have to deal with a lot of crap yeah from this side of the fence of course in both cases i mean for sure the men are really bad um in this movie but um and I don't think the movie is about this, but I think what maybe exacerbates how bad the men are is the is the society in which the men are expected to 
support like like the women are relying on the men well this actually gets back to our earlier thing and i'm thinking about the father character right so this is a man who runs out on his four kids Mm -hmm. and his wife and his dog Mm -hmm. um to pursue a relationship with another woman Mm -hmm. right and this is exactly the sort of like uh if you go if you use the lens of like self-actualization or like you know your own personal happiness, right? Mm-hmm. He is following his bliss, right? He is following like what he wants and what he thinks will make him happy in his day-to-day life. What is actualization right? if not finding a beautiful woman? <laughs> like <laughs> and running off with her. And this is how he thinks he's going to be happy in life, right? And he has this um luxury to sort of use your word from earlier of like just being like, what do I want? What right. are my hopes and what dreams? What would make me most fulfilled? Right. Yeah. Versus like the mother character is like, I don't have that luxury, right? Like because foundationally, I care the most about like taking care of my kids, mm-hmm. um, and so that's not really a choice that I can make. And I feel like that is something that. Um, that story is actually like thematically very rich and I think very universal. It's like, I feel like that is like the plight of women in the Western world, right? Is like men run off and women have to like keep the household together. And like as a society, we're like, yeah, that's just sort of the way it goes, you right. know? Yeah. So, uh, so a lot of it is, a lot of it is societal, I feel like, like all of those obligations that to to maybe women generally speaking uh non-negotiable right but for men are optional yeah (laughs) perceived as optional right uh those things contribute to uh scenarios like this feeling so unfair because Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of hard to imagine because you have to imagine an alternate dimension where we don't have all of the societal, you know, conventions that we have today in place. But but hypothetically, if you imagine a world where none of those expectations were any different between men and women, yeah, then a man running off might feel less not like less horrible from a, you know, he's a jerk perspective, but Mm -hmm. less horrible from a, like, look what, look at the desperate situation you've left your partner in. You've Mm -hmm. left your ex-partner in. Because in the case of this movie, it's like you said, the father leaves her with these children and it's like, now she is in this awful situation Mm -hmm. because she, you know, presumably he was, the source of income mm-hmm. and uh, and they have this house and she has these children and they have these housekeepers. And so now she's got to, you know, figure out what to do. Yep. And similarly with Cleo and the, the her boyfriend, it's like he knocks her up and, na- and then for him to leave, mm-hmm. she kind of, you know, a woman in, in her situation, she, she would have expected him to, take care of her and the child. Right. Um, so for him to go, she's left like, what am I going to do? What, right. what's who, you know, who is more vulnerable than a pregnant housekeeper 
right. you know, in this society. Yeah. So anyway, but like, like I said, it's kind of hard to imagine an alternate dimension where it would be just be fine for a man to leave because there's no expectation that men take care of women or that they like, you know, are the breadwinners or that women are supposed to take care of children or anything like that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyway, I don't know if I've articulated my <laughs> perspective on this very well, but I just feel like the men being bad is, is, is partially because the men are bad, but even worse because of the society basically that and, they're in. And this actually gets us to sort of something that we hinted at earlier, sort of the revelation that Cleo reveals uh, toward the end of the movie. And so spoiler, spoiler alert, we're going to talk about mm-hmm. that now. Um, in the moment, uh, in a, in a, at the at the conclusion of what I consider to be a very stunning sequence, and we'll talk about the best parts of the movie mm-hmm. in a little bit. But like um, after a basically a ocean rescue, right? Some children are basically kind of being dragged out to sea, and Cleo, who cannot swim, manages to bring them back to shore. And she's exhausted and they're exhausted and everybody's a little bit emotionally raw. And she just sort of admits to the family as they sort of huddle around her like she never wanted to have that baby mm-hmm. and didn't want to keep it, right? The baby that she lost. The baby that she ended up having miscarried, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that, you you know, to your point, like that is a shocking moment. We don't have any insights into how she's feeling about that baby we sort of presume she is sad right well because a woman's not supposed to not want a baby and that's exactly the thing it's like you know her boyfriend the father the father of this child who later becomes basically just a straight-up enemy of a straight-up villain in this movie um you know he runs out and we sort of view that as like well you know that's just another jerk guy Mm -hmm. running out right and then when she's like i wanted to run out Right. Mm-hmm. I wished that there was a way that I now granted like physiologically it's more that's more fraught for her. Mm-hmm. Right. But like when she's like, I didn't want to be, you know, on the hook for this baby yeah. either. And it's like it is shocking and it does reveal the depth of like the sort of entrenchedness mm-hmm. of our understanding of like, well, the role of women is to have the baby. Right. Like, yeah. Um, and so and and even if you don't believe that you still even people who wouldn't say that might mm-hmm. still think but of course even it's not women's role but of course any woman who has a baby mm-hmm. would would love the baby mm-hmm. right but for a woman to say i don't want the baby you know yeah um and she feels <clears throat> so what uh, to me my reading of that scene is like she is both so relieved that she's not a mother right now and mm-hmm. feels also extremely guilty and extremely sad mm-hmm. at the same time about that fact, right? And it's like, that's one of the most complex sets of emotions conveyed in the film, right? Yeah. Um, and because she is sort of struggling under the weight of societal expectations around how she is supposed to be as a housekeeper, as a woman, as a sort of uh, um, um, an almost mother, but not, mm-hmm. right? As a woman in that society. It just felt like in that moment, she's sort of revealing like, 
without saying it and without even articulating it to herself this way, like it is unfair the expectations that are placed on me mm-hmm. versus the expectations that are placed on somebody else, whether of a higher social status or a different gender. Right. Um, and so like that was, yeah, that to me feels like another theme that's sort of like marbled throughout. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the, I guess we're not really at that point in the agenda, but I kind of feel like talking about it. Um, best parts of the movie. Cause there's definitely some stunning sequences. There are some set pieces. Yeah. Yeah. But that final scene in the, the, on the beach, I remember, I don't know if I'm remembering this accurately, but I feel like doesn't the camera, it, it's like a continuous shot it's a crane, following her. Crane shot, yeah. Well into the water. Yeah. Right? Um, that's a really, yeah, that's a really uh, impressive shot, but impressive is not even really the main thing for me. It's just, it's so effective yeah. following her. Sort of, the, the children are off screen, but you see her watching them. Mm-hmm. Actually, it, tra- it tracks her walking away from the water because she's like talking to the the littlest one. Yeah, right? the Quaron surrogate. Yeah, and then and then it follows her going back towards the water. She notices that they're sort and, of like out too and far, and as it goes into the water, you're like, oh, they're really far out there. Yeah, and um, it just yeah, it's uh, this the, it's a scene that I feel kind of sneaks up on you. Mm-hmm. you're not really expecting a ton of you know drama and tension but but then it's like oh i think the children like are actually in a lot of trouble and given what's happened in the movie up till now yeah you're like are they gonna die is right. she gonna die like what's gonna happen this yeah. seems like really bad right now yeah yeah um and i remember i watched it with with my wife mm-hmm. right and she was very like she was tensing up during that sequence and was like, no, yeah, no, they can't. Right. And, but that's sort of like, I think you're right. The, the sneak up on that phrase, right. Mm -hmm. Is I think really telling and really important because like, you know, as someone who's been to the beach, right. (laughs) Like that can happen. Right. Like just somebody who's not as strong a swimmer or is maybe a little tired. Right. Like, just like all of a sudden it's like, wait, they shouldn't be out there, right? And, and that, I think she says early, like, I can't swim, right? Yeah. So she's like, don't go out too far because I can't swim. Yes. And so you know that as the viewer. Yeah. Um, that's Chekhov's gun right there. Yeah. But no, that's true. That's true. Because they're, they're, I think she says that. And maybe just something, maybe just something like, maybe that's what she says as she's like walking away from the water, but something like that where, where you're watching and you're like, Ooh, for her to have said that suggests yeah. that this isn't going to go great. Right. Um, so that was a really great scene. Yeah. What other, what other segments are noteworthy for you that you feel like we should talk about? Uh, I mean the furniture shopping sequence. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's a sequence where Cleo is very pregnant and is shopping with the grandmother of the family for a crib. And they're at a department store. They're at the second floor of this department store. And from the window, Mm -hmm. they can see 
what becomes effectively a riot mm-hmm. and a massacre, right? Mm-hmm. Where a bunch of protesters are murdered by um, a sort of hired military, like or, or sort of like guerrilla military kind of force. Do you right. know what's going on in this movie in Mexican history? Um, there, it, there was a real. Um, I don't, I don't know the events by name, but there was a real sort of like student protest and revolt, uh, and um, corresponding, you know, massacre that mm-hmm. occurred. Um, that was a real uh, thing, and so, and this is based, I believe, on sort of Quaron having lived through this right. and. Um, you know, trying to, I think from his point of view as a child, I think he was probably like at home and didn't yeah. like see it. Right. And so I think he sort of had to conjure like, well, what would have been a situation where somebody would have seen this? Right. And it's like, oh, well, there was a furniture store right mm-hmm. there. Right. <clears throat> well, if they were there, they could have seen that entire courtyard. Right. So I think like, um, so it is a, there were real events, but I don't, I'm not familiar with the Mexican history, but that preceded it or well, you followed know, it. You know more than I did. So. Yeah. Um, so that sequence where we've gone, we, you know, it's extremely domestic, right? Mm-hmm. And then Looking just by the camera sort of being able to see out the window and the crush of humans that are out there in that courtyard, uh, it, it's just a pretty like stunning sequence yeah right? there's 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 a lot of um sequences in this movie that i feel the orchestration of it all mm-hmm. is really impressive yeah like that one like you've got this crowd out there mm-hmm. but you've got a camera in this furniture store yeah and you're like you know just gradually moving the camera slowly and you kind of have to I don't know if you work it out with like people with flags or like yeah walkie talkies yeah, yeah yeah but like that riot has to be uh, timed along with the action that's happening in the yeah. in the store, which is really interesting. And I think um, I think there's a bunch of sequences kind of similar to that. Um, another one that stands out for me: there's a big forest fire yeah. scene, yeah, for sure. Uh, that involves quite a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Some trying to put out the fire. Mm-hmm. Some just kind of watching from a little bit more of a safe distance. Um, also, it's just a real fire and a real for realish looking, you know, forest setting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the proximity, like, so it, um, like with lots of the set pieces in this movie, it just looks stunning. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you sort of are fathoming, like the, I, th- I feel like the same thing is true of the ocean sequence. It's like, there's these are just people standing right next to a fire mm-hmm. and there is something very true about that right like we're not we're fire is like the epitome of something we are that is dangerous that we also gravitate toward like mm-hmm. it's dangerous but also life-giving right mm-hmm. um and so like the fact that like grown-ups and kids are just like standing within, you know, single digit feet of this mm-hmm. massive forest fire and are taking little cups of water or whatever and like just trying to put it out yeah. and being p- totally ill-equipped for it, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's something about that entire sequence that is both, uh, you know, scary and surreal, but also real, 
right? Um, that combined with sort of its visual impressiveness just makes for a highly memorable yeah. sequence. I also feel, I think, you, I think you're kind of touching on this. The, that scene in particular, but I think there's other scenes in the movie, has uh, a quality to it that is, for me, evokes childhood in the sense that as a child, you don't necessarily know like everything is you, you sort of assume is okay until you see the adults around you panicking. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that scene strangely does not feel, it doesn't feel like there's a great danger. Nope. Like, you know, there's people who are super relaxed who are basically yeah. just kind of watching detached as the struggle to put out the fire goes on right and it just it felt to me like kind of like the experience of being of almost like if you were a kid in that situation yeah and you just saw people like you assume they just have it under control yeah and you're like oh neat you know let's big, go check out the fire big fire yeah um and i guess i guess what i took away from it was i assume or I'm guessing that that was based on a memory that Quaron has yeah. of a fire. And that's probably kind of what his memory of it is like because he would have been a child. Yeah. And it would have seemed like not super dangerous, you know. Right. Probably would have just been like, wow, that's really something, you know. Yeah. Um, so anyway, those are all some solid scenes. What else? Anything else? Um, I will definitely remember the car parking sequence when the father parks the car oh, yeah. right in the beginning in the beginning and, and in fact i will remember i i remember the arc of the car mm. right like i remember like the extreme <clears throat> care and delicacy with which he parks that car mm-hmm. right and the total like you know just um careless violent way the mother parks the car <laughs> right and then she sells the car. Yep. Right. Yeah. And I just that entire yeah set of moments subplot really like <laughs> meant they they really did it for me. Like I it was a perfect little metaphor executed mm-hmm. well. Um, the way it was shot so as not to show the face of the father like during the sequence where he parks the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just really sort of set the table for me as far as like. I understand what kind of father this is. Mm. I understand how these children view this man, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that to me, even more so that. And so, like, it was just so effective. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the fire sequence or the ocean sequence or the crowd sequence, right? But it was still it was so memorable mm-hmm. for me. Do you have anything like that that's not one of the huge set pieces? <laughs> well, you mentioning the car just now just made me think of when she pulls the car in between two trucks or whatever. Yeah. And just totally wrecks it. And, uh, I mean, doesn't wreck it because they still get to their destination. Yeah. But that, I don't know if that's the first scene like it in the movie, but I feel like it it gives you definitely a new perspective on the mother Mm -hmm. where she just is like, well, I just like messed up this car big time. And then she's just kind of like, all right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it really makes me like her a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of like the show must go on. Yeah, um, 
that uh, that's not like a standout scene or anything. It just it just tickled me. Um, yeah, I think we co- probably covered all the main ones. Oh, I guess the other one would be when she goes to confront her, you know, now ex boyfriend at the martial arts like training ground commune thing he's at. Yeah, um, I feel like that scene's got some really beautiful uh, footage. Yeah, you've got like the cannonball sequence. You've got um, uh, like all the trainees trying to balance on mm-hmm. one foot with mm-hmm. their eyes closed. Yeah, there's definitely some great shots in there. Yeah. So, yeah, so all that stuff is great. Um, but, you know, like I said towards the beginning, it wasn't the movie did end up being a lot more just realistic, uh, you know, very intimate, very up close and personal look at these characters and not the heightened reality borderline fantasy that I was for some reason expecting. Yeah. Um, I feel like uh, we can probably just wrap up with Fix the movie? Is there anything that you feel like could have fixed the movie? No. Yeah. There's nothing I would change about it. Like, because it's so personal, it's like, right. it's not like a movie where you it's like... You didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> right. It's not like the plot mechanics are bad. There is yeah. no real plot, per se. Right? It lingered on the bucket a little longer. Right, right. <laughs> like, um, <clears throat> oh, I mean, and just to sort of like... In fact, you know, there's nothing that I would change about the movie. I would feel like it would be pretty um, brazen and I think sort of, um, poor. I don't know, just a bad idea to try to like change anything about this movie. Mm-hmm. One of the, just another thing that, re- that I recall um, both being memorable and sort of I had the conscious thought as I was watching it, like, wow, this movie's really kind of going for it. Like, in the sort of way that you were describing at the beginning of this conversation, which is like, Netflix is like, whatever you want to do, mm-hmm. it's it's deeply personal tale, mm-hmm. fine. <clears throat> like, we love it, right? Just the opening shot of the film, right? Mm-hmm. We're looking at the ground, right? And then mm-hmm. we're looking at a puddle. Mm-hmm. And then we're looking at an airplane in the reflection of, the sky, mm-hmm. right? And it's just like, I'm not going to forget that shot because I remember it's like the longer it goes, I'm like, this movie's just going <laughs> to do this. It's just going to stare at the this ground for the super first... art like, house right now. For the first, you know, whatever, yeah. two, three, four minutes of the movie or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just remember thinking like a, a movie that was more concerned with box office or um, ticket sales, or just pleasing people, right, Mm -hmm. would do something else. But, like, he clearly was like, no, we are going to juxtapose, like, the daily sort of grind of keeping a household clean with the sort of the impossibility of a plane out of here, Mm -hmm. right? Which is how we close the movie, too. Yeah. Right. And um, he's like, there is a world outside that you can get to 
if you hop an airplane and go, which is in some ways, I think the father's journey, right? Like this metaphorical trip he takes to Canada, mm. right? Which is also a lie, right? Yeah. But, and it's like, that's sort of like one path, right? The path of like hop on an airplane, leave your problems behind and go, right? But we're going to stay here on the ground with the mop water, right? And that's the, that's the story we're going to tell here. And like just setting it up that way, having the patience to set it up that way, set up that shot, you know, because I have no doubt that she was like legit mopping the floor <laughs> for that sequence, yeah. right? And it took as long as it took, you know? Were you, were you curious, like as it opened up and as the water was flowing, were you curious like to see what was going on? Yeah, and I mean, the camera to- but I think that, that, you know, just like I'm a sucker for movies like Baby Driver and Bad Times at the El Royale, just mm-hmm. because I like things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I am also a sucker for like the sort of open, like an, uh, being openly confused about like, what am I looking at? Mm-hmm. Right. There's some movies that do a really good job of that with like their opening shots or whatever, where I was like, I don't know what this is. Right. But eventually it's going to show me. Yeah, but I just like being in that moment for a minute or two. Yeah. Yeah. I sort of, I mean, I think it's the credits. It's the opening credits, basically, right? So the water, you know, comes flowing into the scene, into the frame so many times. Yeah. That I, I did start to be like, what could this possibly be like? Right. What is this? What is the shape of this room? Yeah. Why is so much water? And but then the camera, you know, slowly pans up, and it's like, oh, it's like kind of a hallway, basically. Yeah. So she's, you know, cleaning the hallway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ah, oh, the rhythmic nature of the water, sort of foreshadowing scene, foreshadowing the ocean sequence, to my thinking. It's right. True. Like, yeah. I just. Yeah. So at any rate, like we've we've rattled off, you know, five different things that we liked about this movie, and in so, and so in some ways, I think this is exactly um, sort of a, a recounting of w- things we liked about the movie, and there are so many. I could keep going, right? And the fact that at the beginning of this conversation, we're like, "What were you hoping for?" I was like, mm-hmm. "Ah, it's just sort of." There was a little bit of an eat your vegetables quality. Uh-huh. To watching this movie, but just by virtue of it being so good, it's you know one of the movies we're talking about for space flicks, right? Yep, yep. And why was it so? What what about it was so good? It didn't really have much of a plot, right? Like it's more like yeah, it's just the filmmaking, right? Just the con- just the choices that were made to produce moments and shots mm-hmm. were just so excellently done that it's like you can't help but be like, this is great. Like, I don't care that it's about what it's about, or I don't care that it's, you know, set when it's set. Like, all of these things are ancillary to just sort of high-quality filmmaking at its core. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely agree it's very high-quality filmmaking. I think, uh, I think I just also felt like, you know, if you're going to do a movie that's mainly about a character whether you want to call it a love letter or a portrait or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
you know, if the movie can get you to view that character as lovingly as the filmmaker does, Mm -hmm. then it's a success. And to me, by the end of this movie, I, you know, I kind of understand the perspective you were sharing earlier of like some people not liking the characterization of Cleo. But for me, by the end of the movie, I feel like we've been through a lot with her. We've, We've seen a lot and... I really cared about her. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, and that's kind of how I felt in Lady Bird too. Yeah. Right. And so if a movie's going to do that, if it can get me to feel for the person. Yeah. Then it's kind of like, well, that's, that's the criteria for success, you know? Right. Um, and, and I appreciate that. Like in the same way that I like making new friends in real life, you know? Right. Uh, it's, it's like a rewarding, well, rewarding might be stretching it. It's like kind of a satisfying feeling as a yeah. human being, right? To feel like you've um, gotten to know someone and kind of uh, can appreciate them. Yeah. So to me, that's kind of what this movie did really successfully. As, as much as the just, and you know, I guess that's high quality filmmaking went into achieving that effect. Yes. But yeah. Um, <clears throat> But I think thinking about why, for me, the movie is one of the top of the year, that's kind of what it comes down to. Like, there's not a lot of movies I saw this year where I deeply cared, you know, about the main character at the end. Yeah. And still and still looking back on the movie, think, you know, think very warm thoughts about that person. Yeah, I and mean, about those characters. Just to sort of c- can complete the juxtaposition that we've sort of been doing throughout, which is like, you know, I think we both, as an example of another film, that we both really liked the film making, but it didn't have the sort of emotional resonance that a film like Roma has, is like Bad Times at the El Royale, mm-hmm. right? It's like, oh, what a really well-made movie, Right, like it, it's doing some of the whiz bang stuff yeah. that I like in movies, right? But I didn't mostly care about any of those it's characters at the end, yeah, right? But. And so it's like, um, that's a movie that I was ready to love, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but it just sort of didn't have the the emotional through line to make me actually care about these great pieces of filmmaking that I'm seeing, right? Versus Roma, which sort of like. I, it just it managed to do it managed to have its cake and eat it too. Yep. So yeah, don't fix it. Don't change anything. All right, let's beam it up. Do, do the sound effect. <laughs> we did it. It's supposed to be a very costly and like slow process. That, that sound effect makes it sound like now it's there. That's just the sound of me pushing the button oh, okay. to right. in, to initiate the transmission, yeah. which will be done in. 107 hours. Bites sending bites. Yeah. Through space. Yep. All right. Well, that wraps it up then. That's Roma, ladies and germs. Yeah. Solid film. So, uh, yeah. So that's uh, this episode of Space Flicks. I'm Adam. I'm Dan. And thank you for listening. (laughs) 